So welcome back again to the second part of our podcast here on Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keely, still joined by Shane, Shane Ambrose. This point of the programme now, we, we're going to say just a few words. You've got a little bit of time to study the Word of God. Now, we know it was celebrated last week, but as we we decided to to speak with our good friend, Father Martin Brown, on uh, the week of Christian unity last week, we said we'd spend some time this week around the Word of God. So we've got a few little offerings uh, sharings that Shane wants to share with us, and then we've got a little bit of a, um, a podcast that we'd like people to listen to. But in the meantime, Shane, how would you like to maybe just offer a few words to us on Sunday, the Word of God? Yeah, so as you said, John, uh, last Sunday was uh, the Sunday says of Sunday, the Word of God. It's, it's, it's set to occur on the third Sunday in ordinary time. So that was last, last weekend. Now, um, it's, it's, in one sense, it's, it's almost a redundancy because, of course, every Sunday is a Sunday of the Word of God, you know, um, because it's obviously the Word of God is proclaimed at every Sunday Eucharist. But it was set up by Pope Francis in 2019, um, and he, it's, it's a day to be, the idea is it's, it's a day set aside to be devoted to the study, celebration, and spreading of the Word of God. Um, and Pope Francis set out that it's, you know, the relationship you know, it's an, we need to recognize the importance of the relationship between the risen Lord, the community of believers, and, and sacred scripture, because it's essential to who we are as Christians. And I suppose it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a challenging thing, I think, maybe for Catholics to get their heads around, um, and particularly Irish Catholics. We don't have a very strong tradition of familiarity with scripture. Um, very many reasons for that, um, but it's not true to say that as you know, some people would like to make out that the Catholic Church is not a biblical church. It very much is a biblical church, um, and you know, as very clearly set out by the by the Church at the Second Vatican Council in a document called De Verbum. But the idea of this one is Pope Francis put it up there to remind us of the central role that the Word of God should play, both in our liturgical life, but also for each one of us in in each one of us individually. Um, it very much focuses on, I suppose, the, the idea of that we gather around the table of the Lord, which is the altar, of course, but to break open the word, but also to break the bread, which is what we're used to, but also to break open the word for each and each one of us. And I suppose it's a reminder to each, to each of us as well that as Catholics, we have a very strong belief and understanding that Christ is present in a special way in the Eucharist, the sort of what is described by the Church as the source and summit of our faith. But sometimes what we all forget is that Christ is just as much present in the Word proclaimed. So in the Word, in the Word of God, the Word proclaimed. And this was brought home to me once. Um, a friend of mine was studying Scripture in Dublin, and their, you know, at their Scripture, their Scripture lecture, he turned around and he said to them. If you had the Blessed Sacrament here, where would you have it? And of course, people were saying, of course, it'd be in a special place. You know, it would be, you know, in the ciborium, candles, all the rest of it, not, you know, very reverently looked after and all the rest of it. And he didn't turn around. He said, where is the Bible that you brought today to class? Chances are it's sitting in your bag, thrown on the floor. He said, it's the same thing. The Word of God, the Blessed Sacrament, 
it is the presence of God in our daily lives. And I thought actually it was a very good way of challenging our perceptions on the word of God and the importance of it. And in this regard, actually, our neighbors in the Islamic world had kind of teach us a thing or two, because for them, the Quran is, is, is held up the same as we would hold up the Blessed Sacrament in terms of its role and its understanding within their faith culture. So, you know, in that regard, it's you know, just an example of how other faiths look at the word in terms of their own particular faith tradition. I'll bring it back to the Sunday of the Word of God. Um, it's a time when we're, we're supposed to kind of pay greater attention, greater attention to the Word of God and to reflect on it. Um, you know, and it poses some questions for us. I know in some parishes, you know, the question is, do we have a book of the Gospels? Do we carry it in procession? Do we have a proper lectionary? Or is everyone foostering around with a leaflet or bits of paper? You know, the idea is that it, it should be treated with reverence like we would the Blessed Sacrament, you know? Um, you know, and it, it is also very much a cultural thing. I, I know when I worked and lived overseas in different cultures, uh, particularly African cultures, the, the, the procession of the word into the Eucharistic assembly is a big deal. There's singing, there's dancing, there's incense. The carrying of the book of the, the word of the God, the book of the Gospels is a big deal. They reverence the word of the Gospels, um, you know, the, the book of the Gospels, you know. So that's it's, it's something for us to think about. But also poses the question for us in our domestic churches in terms of how do we treat it? And how do we use and pray with scripture as individuals and as family? It's not something which should be confined just to the formal church building. And in this regard, uh, it's something which our brethren in the Protestant churches have something to teach us. Because obviously the tradition, uh, the sola scriptura tradition in the Protestant uh, churches is, much, is quite strong. And the idea, the place and the role of scripture in their prayer life would be quite strong as well. And it's something, you know, considering that last week was the week of prayer of Christian unity, it's something perhaps that we could learn from our, our, our neighbours who happen to be, uh, be Protestant as well. Um, but also to stress the importance of it from the point of view that, you know, Eucharistically, when we celebrate, we have it, we have a reading, generally a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the New Testament, we use a psalm, there's a, there's a gospel. But that isn't the, the beginning and the end of just the role of scripture in our liturgies. Because if you go through our prayers, the Eucharistic prayers, the canons of the Mass, you go through the opening prayers, the collects that we use, they're all suffused with the Psalms and the language of scripture. And it's our familiarity with that that we need to improve on, that we need to reflect on, that we need to pray about. And that's, that's behind the, the importance of the, the Sunday of the Word of God. This Sunday was also quite important as well in, in Rome because Pope Francis uh, also uh, did something new. So we have in the church what are called various official ministries. And for those of our older listeners, uh, they might remember back in the day, there used to be what were called the four minor orders, which were acolyte, lector, exorcist, and porter, which were steps that generally seminarians were given on their way to ordination to subdeacon, deacon, and ultimately to priesthood. In the 1970s, Pope Francis did an over, or Pope Paul VI did an overhaul and he got rid of what were called the minor orders, but he kept what were called ministries in the church. 
And a ministry is a formal dedication of a person to do a particular thing. And there were lectors, acolytes. They were the two ministries that were kept. Now, in layman's terms, we were doing them anyway. We had readers and acolytes. The job of an acolyte was sometimes being done by our altar servers. And the issue was from the 1970s on, those ministries were reserved to those who were on their way to being ordained for priesthood and reserved to men. Pope Francis is after changing that. And he's after reminding us that the role of lector and acolyte can be done by someone who is baptized by virtue of our royal baptism, as he calls it, in his, uh, his change to the canon law. And he opened up these ministries, the formal institution of these ministries, to all baptized laymen and women. And at the same time, he also created a third one, which is catechist. So last Sunday in Rome, Pope Francis, uh, these, he, he, he conferred these ministries on, on, on people and predominantly actually women, to be fair. And it's, it's seen as you know, part of Pope Francis's out, not outreach, I don't like that term, but his recognition of the role of women in the church in a formal sense. Like, we, you know, we have readers, I'm a reader myself in my home parish and we have loads of readers, but this is... By instituting this role, the person is recognized formally in their role by the church. So he did it for both lectors and catechists because he was associating both of those roles very much with the proclamation of the word of God. In an Irish context, we are more familiar with lectors. So those are people that proclaim the word, right? Catechists, not so much. That's something we wouldn't be overly familiar with in an Irish context. But in a context around the world, catechists are hugely important. You come across them, say, for example, in the U.S., where they have parochial schools and uh, Christian formation and, and doctrine is done within the context, and that's done generally by catechists. They have, play an extremely important role in, I came across them in an African context, where catechists might be the only representative of the church that a parish or community might see for months on end. So they would lead lay led liturgies of the word on, on Sundays, they would prepare children and couples, they prepare children for baptism, their confirmation, they prepare couples for marriage. So and it, it's an it's a essential role in many countries, particularly where there isn't enough priests. And, you know, they, they, so it's, it's it, the, you know, the role as the ministry of catechist um, that the, they, that as, 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 as Pope Francis said, like there are people who are in, trusted with a cross, uh, to recall their missionary character of the service that they administer. So this is what Pope Francis did on Sunday. He gave each of them a cross, whereas each lector was presented with a copy of the book of the Gospels. Um, you know, so it's, 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 it, it was a lovely ceremony. I saw some of it myself. Now, it's still very much um, in design, if you like. This was the first ceremony, um, and it's, it's, it's something which is just new. It's a new role. It's a new ceremony. It's a new liturgy the Pope has ordered to be prepared. And it's just, it's also, but it's important for its value for witness. Um, and that, that, is, that is the key thing about it. And it's drawing on our shared baptism, which is the important thing. Um, you know, it's inviting us to recognize that, you know, these ministries, they're different from the ministries or from the ministry that's received through the sacrament of ordination. Uh, it comes to us from our baptism. 
and it's for lay, lay persons who possess the age and qualifications um, to be admitted to the ministries of lecture and accolade. And it's very much, I suppose, it's important to, to recognise that this is a development of the Second Vatican Council, uh, in particular recognising lay people's responsibility for evangelization, um, Their responsibility, their role and their experience uh, of doing it and recognising it in a formal sense within the church. So that was just what happened last Sunday, John, in Rome. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what way it happens. It, as I said, it's the, the catechist bit, traditionally not very strong in an Irish context. That may change over the coming years, particularly with the whole debate around the role of the church in education and in schools and faith formation for children. So something we become much more familiar with. Uh, and, and then for the, lect for the lectors, well, we should see what the bishops do with that. That's something people, are, lay people in Ireland are particularly very familiar with. Shane, thank you very much, Neil, for that. Um, of course, it's a little hobby horse of my own, having the Word of God available for, for uh, members of, uh, of us lay people, uh, especially in our churches. And, uh, and um, I've tried to, and in fact, I do have in our own church here in Ada uh, a small little book at the back of the church where we have the daily readings and also a little reflection. It helps those people to come a little, little bit more familiar with uh, well, with the Word of God, uh, because a lot of it is is spoken about during the week um, in terms of the readings at Mass. Not everybody can attend Mass, but at least what they can do is they can come into other church, for instance, to the, to the back of the church, just into the porch there, and just flick through um, the pages of each day which have the readings and also reflection. Thanks a lot for that, Shane. Now, what we do just to finish off this particular uh, section, and as I said, we're, it's really devoted to the Sunday of the Word of God, there's this piece that uh, we picked up um, by Bishop uh, Robert Barron, a, a favourite. Back in 2020, um, he spoke uh, on a topic, When God Speaks. It's only about 14 minutes. It's a beautiful piece, which might be ideal, a uh, piece to listen to after Shane's reflection there. And we finish off this, uh, this part of a uh, podcast with some music by Music Me. And this one is entitled The Word of, Word of God Speak, Speaks. So let's listen to uh, Bishop Barron and the music and then come back again and join us where we read and reflect on the Word of God for this Sunday. So join us then. Peace be with you. Friends, the church proposes for us this week a marvelous little passage from the 55th chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Here's one of the greatest of Israel's prophets, and the theme of this little passage is the Word of God. So here you've got one of the great speakers of the Word of God discussing precisely the topic of the Word of God. So even though it's a short passage, it's one that packs, I think, quite a punch. Keep in mind that Israel knew itself to be, in this very privileged way, the people to whom God had spoken his word. I mean, they knew that, that truth had been communicated, of course, to many other cultures, but somehow to Israel, uniquely was spoken God's word. And so we listen with great attention to this little passage. Let me read just a section of it. Thus says the Lord, Just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down, and do not return there till they water the earth, making it fertile and fruitful. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. 
extraordinary, beautiful. The relevant uh, Hebrew term here, by the way, is dabar, echoes up and down the Old Testament, the word. Echoed, of course, in the Greek of the New Testament as logos, the word of God. One thing I love about that little image of the rain and snow coming down, um, for desert people, for Middle Eastern people, how powerful that was. Now, I, I sent it out here in California a bit. We go through periods of tremendous drought, and then we savor when the rain comes. And we're very attentive to the snowpack up in the mountains because that keeps us you know, fertile during the, the summertime. Well, even more so for a desert people. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it fruitful, it meant the world to them. So the divine word, Isaiah is saying, has that same power in the spiritual order. But it comes down to a desert place and makes it fruitful. It gives life. It produces something. It's very interesting there, isn't it? Uh, We think of language, in the usual sense, as something derivative and descriptive. What do I mean? Well, it's derived from experience, and it describes experience. So if I were to describe to someone what's happening this morning, I'd say, well, here I am in this studio space and a camera in front of me and lights, and I'm describing what I'm taking in. Okay, language does have that function. But other times, even in our speech, language has a much more creative and productive role. Now, what am I talking about? Suppose someone, even a parent, said something to you when you were a kid that was very cutting and critical. Did that affect you? (laughs) You bet. That produced something in you, something terrible, at a very deep level. Might last your whole life long. Or state it more positively, a parent or a friend or a teacher or someone. Says something that is very affirming and optimistic and and confident to you. That could set a a child on a a path that will change her whole life. You know, what she said to me when I was a little kid, it's because of that that I'm still doing what I'm doing. Sometimes our words affect reality. They do just what's being described here. They, They give life. They make a desert place bloom, right? I think maybe a somewhat less dramatic example, but you're in a baseball game, right? And the, the fans are cheering, and maybe they're all commenting the way we do at a game. Like, we're, we're describing and we're commenting. And, but then there's the umpire on the field. And he calls the play. You know, you're out. Well, his language is not just describing. He's not just sharing his point of view. His words change the game. That, that player's got to go sit down, or it's three outs and, and, and the inning's over. The umpire's words are not just descriptive and derivative, they are creative. That's what God's word is like. That's what Isaiah is saying. But now, you know, a fortiori, even in the strongest sense, God's word affects what it says. Go right back to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, let there be light. 
and there was light. God's not saying, oh, by the way, look, there's light. <laughs> I'm describing for you what's out there. No, no. God speaks, and it is. Let the dry land appear, and so it happened. Let vegetation cover the earth, and so it was. Let animals teem, let, let things that crawl upon the earth come forth, and so it happened. Don't literalize that language, but it's trying to communicate this very powerful truth that God speaks the world into being. His word makes it what it is. Our words shape reality to a degree. They can. Think of the umpire. God's word constitutes reality at its deepest possible level. You know, I, I always think of um, a great sprawling novel, like by, let's say, Dickens or Dostoevsky or Tolstoy, one of these great you know, 19th century novelists. Big thousand pages and plot and all kinds of subplots and a thousand characters. And, you know, one of those novels takes you months to read. But isn't it amazing that there's one author, like Dickens, who is utterly the master every little detail of that story. I mean every character, I mean the plot, I mean every subplot, I mean every sentence, every word, every comma, every semicolon was thought into being by that author. Or think of, you know, the Sistine Chapel ceiling with all of its complexity of design and the number of characters and figures and, but yet, there's this one mind, Michelangelo. He might have had a few assistants to you know, mix his colors and that sort of thing. But Michelangelo's mind brought into being that work of art in every nook and cranny. So God continually brings into being, by his great act of speech, the universe in its totality. See, friends, we do not inhabit a chaos. We inhabit a cosmos. And the only way to make sense of that is to posit the existence of this great intelligent creator who is continually speaking the world into being. Extraordinary. Whenever you feel tempted to say, ah, oh, it's just a it's a tale told by an idiot, right, in Shakespeare's language. No, that's, that's what the world is not. It's not a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. No, no. The world in every nook and cranny is like a great novel being written by God who is speaking it into being. You know, a further implication, I've spoken of this before, the sciences depend upon this idea. What's the condition for the possibility of the sciences? Well, the world is intelligible, right? Any scientist has to go out with great confidence to meet a world that's endowed with intelligibility. A pattern, a meaning. If the world's just chaotic, no science would get off the ground. How interesting that every single scientist, no matter what his or her discipline is, must make this mystical assumption that the world is full of pattern, meaning, and intelligibility. Where does that come from? It comes from this ancient idea 
that God speaks the world into being as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth. So my word goes forth from me and does not return without accomplishing its purpose. So there's God's creative word. Now think of, of Isaiah himself and his colleagues, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, all the others. God's prophetic word. Descriptive? Yeah, sometimes it is. They might be describing what's going on at the, in the Israel of their time. But much more importantly, the prophetic word is creative. It's productive. It makes things happen. It did in their own time, and how wonderful, how wonderful that up and down the ages, that word continues to have a transformative power. Think here even of Martin Luther King in our country, calling, as he often did, on Amos the prophet, speaking of God's justice coming down like a great uh, waterfall. I mean, centuries and centuries later, King calls upon the prophetic words of the Bible to effect, indeed, great social change in our country. The prophetic word accomplishes its purpose, not just describing, making things happen. I remember uh, years ago when I was a professor at Mundelein, I would speak to the students about preaching a lot. And I would say, you know, if you're just sharing your own opinions, uh, the people will sense that, and your words won't have a lot of power. But the minute you allow the divine word to speak through you, and you'll know when that's happening, and the people will know when it's happening, because it'll cut them to the heart. That's the way it goes with the divine word that accomplishes its purpose. Okay, let me close with this. But with all that in mind, let's take a look at this figure, who is not just one more prophet among many, but is the very dabar, the very word, the very logos of the Lord God, made flesh? St. John in his prologue, consciously calling upon the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. What do we know, therefore? We know that Jesus will not simply describe the way things are. Jesus will change the way things are. Watch him now in his ministry. As he preaches, lives change. My son, your sins are forgiven. And by God, they're forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. And he takes up his mat and walks. Little girl, get up, and the dead girl gets up. Lazarus, come out, and the dead man comes out. What Jesus says is, because he's the incarnation of the word that Isaiah is talking about. The night before he died, Jesus took bread and wine from the Passover supper. Over them he said the word, This is my body. This is my blood. Describing a state of affairs, producing a state of affairs. Because what Jesus says is, 
And that's the ground, everybody, of the Catholic belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. It comes from Isaiah 55. It comes from this keen sense that the Word of God never goes forth from him in vain, but rather accomplishes its purpose. Okay, what's the upshot of all this? Let that divine Word, in all of its manifestations, through creation, yes, through the prophets of Israel, in Jesus and his Eucharist, let that prophetic word invade you. Trust me, it will change you. And God bless you. I'm finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is It's okay The last thing I need Is to be heard But to hear What you would say Thing is, it's okay. 